addresses a feud between two women in the Philippian church. He calls on the whole church to assist in bringing peace so that the advancement of the gospel is unhindered. He says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Now I appeal to Euodia and Syntyche. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the gospel. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the Book of Life. Good morning, everybody. So you can see we're doing things a wee bit different today. We had a, a problem with the TV, so um, you're going to just have to bear with me. Hope I get this all right. Happy Mother's Day, Raj. <laughs> Took a while. Happy, happy Mother's Day. We are uh, just so thankful to the Lord that we can celebrate our mothers today, and we pray that every mother here today will sense and feel the presence of Almighty God. And even more than that, that today you will learn something. Now, every year at this time, everybody wants to share some special things about mother. And uh, here we go. Mom is just, wow, upside down. Does that encourage you, mothers? No? If it was spelled M-U-M, it would be woo. <laughs> uh, how about this one? Mother. Secret keeper, friend for life, teacher, peacemaker, boo-boo kisser, keeper of the family, chauffeur, chef, saint, and everybody said? Amen. So did that encourage you, mothers? Nah, not really. We need, we need real encouragement, and the encouragement that we need comes from the scriptures. And I want you to understand today that the Lord does have a word for you, moms, and not just for mothers. On Mother's Day, we don't want to keep anybody out of the message, so this word that I have for you this morning is actually uh, very applicable to everybody. And uh, here we are, starting chapter four, we're almost completed, almost completed the book of Philippians. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter four, and we're looking at the first uh, three verses. And chapter four begins with this, therefore, whoops, that's not it. No, it's not it either. There it is. And is that it? Okay, there we go. I told you, bear with me, but we'll get this yet. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This verse uh, should probably have been at the tail end of chapter three, but when the, when the men who put chapters and verses in, uh, they sometimes you know, would make mistakes or wouldn't quite get it right, but it doesn't matter we get the gist of, of what they're saying. It doesn't affect the actual message. Paul is expressing his great love for the Philippians. One might say he's expressing his love as a father would. In fact, the Apostle Paul often refers to himself as a father. In Philippians chapter 2.22, you may remember that Paul said uh, that Timothy was like a son to him, and he was like a father to Timothy, and, and that... Uh, and that there was that special relationship. 
Well, the thing that we discover about the Apostle Paul as he speaks to the Philippians is he really is speaking to them like a father. The, the people of Philippi, the Christians in Phil, the Philippian church, really are like his children, his very own children. He's a father to them. And I would encourage you as you're reading through Philippians, read it through that filter. Read it as, as a father writing a letter to his children. It really changes the dynamic of the book and it helps you understand the great love and the great concern that Paul has for these believers in Philippi. He wants them to understand how to have the kind of life that is truly abundant as Jesus promised. So whether you're a father or a mother today, uh, understand that our job is to model for our children what it means to be a true Christian. Well, we'll talk more about that in just a moment, but let me just quickly point out a few things here. Paul says he has a great longing and desire to be with these children, and there's few people that the Apostle Paul loves as much as the Philippians, and there's a reason for that. These people embraced Paul, and they loved him, and they cared for him. In fact, we we recognize in the letter to the Philippians that Epaphroditus has been sent by the Philippian church to bring an offering to Paul to help him while he's in prison. He, the Philippian believers were very upset that their father was in prison. And, and so they wanted to make sure that all his needs were cared for, that all their needs were met. And so the apostle Paul has this great, great love for the Philippians. And let me just point something out to you. In this day and age where we are so self-centered, we want everybody to love us. It all becomes about us. The thing about Christianity, my friends, is that it really is paradoxical in every way. The things that you would, you would instinctively or naturally think is probably wrong. It's the wrong thing. So the Apostle Paul says, rather than focusing on yourself, you need to focus on others. And that's exactly what these Philippians do. And that is why the Apostle Paul loves them so much, because they're other-oriented, they're other-focused. And so as they are loving Paul, Paul is sensing a great sense of, uh, a great sense of, of, of oneness with them. And he feels their love as they embrace him, he is embracing them in return. So this is why the beautiful language here, uh, my, my brothers whom I love, and, and, and I long for them. They're my joy and my crown. Uh, understand that, that <laughs> the greatest joy that a parent could ever have is to see his children or her children succeed. And that's exactly what's happening. Paul is full of joy and gladness that the, that the church in Philippi is truly flourishing. I can tell you that as a father, there is nothing absolutely nothing in this life that brings me greater joy than watching my children go on with Christ, loving the Lord, and knowing the power of the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. I see some mothers nodding your head. Absolutely, there is no greater joy, greater than a, a little red sports car, is seeing my children walking with the Lord that's the greatest joy of all. Better than, than money, better than, than a cruise, better than a beautiful house, better than finances in the bank is to see my children walking with the Lord. And that's really what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Such joy comes to his heart. In fact, he even says that the Philippians are really his crown. What is he saying? What, is he, what does he mean by that? Well, he is saying there's nothing in this life that brings him greater pleasure. This is, this, this is something that he feels personally. 
The, they made him feel that, that he was uh, a great father, that he did his job as a father. So as we read through this, uh, through this book, we, we want to see it through the eyes of a father, or if you will, see it through the eyes of a mother, since we're talking about mothers on Mother's Day. So we see then the Apostle Paul is saying, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. When we see a therefore in the scripture, it's important to go back to see what it's there for. And so Paul now is, is just completed his, his instruction to the Philippians about how they need to imitate Paul and how they need to imitate Christ. And here's what we learned last week. Um, that's not what we learned last week. Here we go. Brothers... Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. And of course, when he says us, he's, he's referring to himself, he's referring to Timothy, he's referring to Epaphroditus. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we learned last week that Paul is calling us to be truly Christ-like. This is this is the way we live. Now, for so many people, they go to church their whole life, and it's, it's just sort of something that they do on Sundays. They're, they're not really, they've not really embraced Christianity. They've not really embraced Christ. They're what we would call Sunday Christians or, or, or nominal Christians or Christians in name only. Well, Paul is calling the Philippians to not just be Christians in name, but to be Christians in practice. This is what he's asking. He's saying you need to imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's what he says to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, verse one. You need to follow our example, imitate us. Some of you remember last week, I, I talked about being a missionary in Greece and we learned how to be Greeks by imitating the Greeks. So uh, we, you know, if they drive in four lanes uh, when there's only supposed to be three, then we drive in four lanes, even though there's only supposed, if they park on the sidewalk, then I park on the sidewalk, but I'm becoming a Greek. Well, this is the same thing. Paul's saying, if you want to know how to be a citizen of heaven, just imitate me. Now, the way that we learn to be Christ-like, my friends, is obviously by reading the scripture, but, but just as much as that, it's imitating godly people. Now, mothers, this is where it's really important to understand your role. Your kids learn how to follow Christ and how to be Christ-like by following your example. And by the way, uh, fathers are part of that equation as well. But this morning, we're especially targeting mothers. Your kids are watching you. They watch your reaction. They watch how you treat people. They watch whether you lose your temper, whether you're holding a grudge, well, if you're bitter or angry. They're listening to the words you're speaking. If you are, are muttering obscenities, if you are if you're gossiping, if you're saying nasty things about people, your kids are learning from you. It's really important to understand that. Back in, in 1654, for the first time ever, a phrase was printed that says, do as I say, not as I do. Basically, we're saying, follow my advice, but not my example. And we all laugh at that because we know how absurd that is. You tell your kids, do as I do do as I say, not as I do. It, it doesn't work that way. If you've been a parent, you have children, you know 
that no matter what you say, your kids are probably going to be imitating you. So I want to ask you a question right now. Are you happy about that? Are you, are you comfortable with the fact that your kids are watching you and that they are imitating you? Because that's exactly what your kids are going to do. Anybody that is looking to you for direction or for guidance or for mentoring, they're going to imitate you, and it just seems to be a rule of thumb. Our kids are looking at our example. So let me give you a, a few examples of what I mean. If you have a bad attitude, your kids will likely have a bad attitude too. If you don't respect authority, then your kids probably won't respect authority as well. I don't know if you've ever seen those uh, videos of, of um, the guy that goes around uh, acting as a sheriff, collecting, maybe collecting uh, uh, cars or possessions that people haven't paid for, or maybe, uh, maybe they're bringing somebody in, somebody that's that has under, been under arrest but hasn't come in. They, they go in after them, and oftentimes, as you watch the video clip, you watch the sheriff uh, go in and and try to arrest the person or take the thing that's that's that hasn't been paid for and you see the grandparents you see the parents and you see the children and all all generations are now fighting the authority it's actually quite it's quite comical and you'd laugh except that it's not that funny it's actually quite sad it it just goes on from generation to generation and I wonder, in your family, what's going on from generation to generation? If you are fearful, you're teaching your kids to be fearful and to be worriers as well. If you hold grudges, you're teaching your kids how to hold grudges. If you're bitter, then your kids will likely be a bitter people. If you're stingy and greedy, your kids will learn to be stingy and greedy. On the other hand, if you are generous and you're supporting children in Burundi, your kids will probably end up doing the same. I'm so thrilled. My kids are all supporting children in Burundi. Why? Because it's, because it's something that was passed down to them. They learned our values. That's what kids do. You don't go to church, or you don't think going to church is important. If you think going to church once in a while is good enough, that's what your kids will do. If you speak ill of the church or speak ill of the pastor, your kids will do the same thing. And I've watched this. I've watched it over the years. So that when it comes time now for the, for the kids to need help from the pastor, the, past, the kids have no confidence in the church or the pastor because that's what the parents taught them. Don't trust the church, don't trust the pastor, don't trust anybody. If you're rebellious, you're going to teach your kids to be rebellious. If you're a peacemaker, you're going to teach your kids to be peacemakers. So here's the fact of the matter, friends, is that we reap what we sow. Now, that is an actual passage of Scripture. And I'm going to tell you that it is at once the most terrifying passage in the Bible, and it is also the most comforting. It's terrifying because we all know how weak we are and how, how often we fail. Here's what Paul says to the Galatians. He says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you, what you plant. Like I said, you plant bitterness in your kids, that's what, that's what they're going to manifest. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So, let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. So here's the good news. The good news is if we are careful to model 
Christianity or model Christ to our kids, then our kids will do the same thing. In fact, the Proverbs, you know the Proverbs, there's the proverb that says, uh, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. Now, he might have a few hiccups along the way, may have a few bouts of rebellion along the way, but if, again, if you're modeling Christ to your kids, then they're gonna, they're gonna be Christ-like themselves. But conversely, if you're not modeling Christ to your kids, then you have a, tr- a problem on your hands. And this is what Paul's driving at. You and I need to learn what it means to be true citizens of heaven. We need to be Christ-like. We need to follow the example of, of godly parents, godly leaders, godly elders, godly pastors. This is, this is the name of the game. This is how Christianity is passed on from generation to generation. So let me ask you the question. When people look to you, what do they see? Do they see somebody who is a true example of godliness, of Christ-likeness? Well, this is, this is a problem in every generation. There's people that just don't get it. So Paul says, again, join me. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Because our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Christianity only works when we take seriously this call to imitate Christ. If you're not imitating Christ, if you're not following in the footsteps of Christ, then folks, you don't have Christianity. You have a little bit of of religiosity, a little bit of religion, but it's not authentic. And you go around telling people you're a Christian, but you're not following in the steps of Christ. Well, what what are they going to call you? They're going to call you a hypocrite. And guess what? So will your kids. And if your kids are calling you hypocrite people, you are in big trouble. You have got a really big problem on your hands because now you've lost your credibility. Now you've lost your authority. That's why I, as a pastor, do everything in my power to make sure I live my life as a true follower of Christ. This is what gives me authority as a pastor. This is what gives me authority to speak to you and to teach you and to preach to you. And that's the same thing with you as a father or mother. You lose your credibility. You lose your authority when you are living as a hypocrite. So for too many people, Christianity is just left untried. They like the idea of it. They like the morality of it, but when it comes right down to it, they're not really interested in actually imitating Jesus Christ. And folks, if you're not imitating Jesus Christ, then you've got a problem on your hands. Now, there's a reason for Paul's laboring this teaching about imitating him and being a citizen of heaven, because there's a problem in Philippi. There's a problem in the church. There's division. There's a couple of women that have been been duking it out, and they, uh, they have caused a, a split. You've got the two factions, Ebodea and Synthiki. They've got their factions, and one is warring against the other. Well, this, this problem that we see in the church in Philippi is a problem that we see even today, and not necessarily just in church. We see it in, our, in marriages. We see it in families. We see it in friendships. We see it between neighbors. As Christians, we know what to do. 
we know how to overcome division and unity. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. The way to overcome the, the, the difficulty you may be having in your marriage or that you may be having with your kids or with your neighbors or friends is resolved when you and I imitate Christ. That's what Paul is saying here. And we read in chapter 2 of Philippians, we read all about the humility of Jesus Christ. He humbled himself. He set for us an example. Paul says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Chapter 2, verses 3 to 8. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others. You, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. The minute that you and I yield to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me for my self-centeredness. The minute you say, Lord, I want to be like you. I want to, I want to be Christ-like. That's the minute that, you're, that your marriage begins to heal, that the fight between you and your kids begins to heal. The fight between you and your friends, it begins to heal. Why? Because both parties now are trying to be Christ-like or at least one party is trying to be Christ-like. My experience is that oftentimes it just takes one person to be truly Christ-like. The question is, which one's it going to be, the mother or the father? Or is it going to be the kid? But when you become Christ-like, loving others, preferring others above yourself, it's a game-changer. Because now what's happening is one of the people in the fight is saying, I'm not interested in fighting. I'm only interested in loving. You see how that changes everything? So you can, you can go to a psychiatrist if you want. You can go to a counselor and spend thousands of dollars, or you could just listen to what I've got to say to you for free. <laughs> just start imitating Jesus and watch what happens. Watch the transformation in your household. Watch the transformation in your marriage. Start imitating Jesus. Start being Christ-like. And that's what Paul's saying here to the Philippians. So then we come to the next verses. Philippians chapter 3, verses, uh, verses 2 to 3. He says, I entreat you, Ebodea, and I entreat you, Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So now Paul is speaking directly to these two women. Can you imagine if you came to church one Sunday and uh, I said, let's, let's, I'm going to use you as an example. And I stood up before the whole church and on camera, and I said, Judy, Boyette, I implore you to stop fighting with each other. It's in front of the whole church. You probably would never come back again. <laughs> but the Apostle Paul's not fooling around here because he understands how serious this fight is how damaging it is for, for the two women, spiritually speaking, but how damaging it is to the whole church. And can I tell you something, moms and dads, when you are having your fights, it's not and never just affects you. It affects your kids. 
And it affects your grandkids. And it affects your neighbors and the people who are watching you because you said you were a Christian and that you are a good example to follow. Oh, no, you never said it in those words. But the minute you tell somebody a Christian, what you are saying is, I'm not like you, I'm different. You're saying in their ears, they're hearing you say, I'm, I'm better than you. You never said that, but that's what they're hearing because you said you're a Christian. You see the weight of responsibility that rests on our shoulders. You can't fool around with this. You have to take our Lord at his word. And so he pleads with them. He begs with them. He's imploring them. Evodia, Stintihi, I plead with you. I beg you, agree in the Lord because you belong to the Lord. Settle your disagreement. That's what he's saying. Be like Jesus. If you don't know, if you don't know who Jesus is and what he's like, go back and read chapter two of Philippians. You'll see that Jesus is the humble servant of God. If Jesus, who is the king of the universe, the creator of everything, can humble himself, so can you. It's not going to be the end of the world when you humble yourself. You say, but Pastor Ellen, I've got my reputation to keep. No, you don't. You have nothing. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and in due time, he will lift you up. Hallelujah. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and in due time, he will heal your marriage. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and in due time, your family will be a tight, loving, close-knit unit. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and you will heal the relationship between you and your friends. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will make you a powerhouse for his glory and honor. You see what we're talking about? This is what's at stake. And so Philippi gave a level of independence to women that was absolutely uncommon in the world at that time. But remember, the, uh, this is a, a, Roman, a Roman city. Greeks never, never would have given women this kind of prominence, but these women have, are, are, are women of great prominence. So think of this for a moment. These women with, with this great prominence, coupled with their disagreement and their disunity, it's literally killing the church. Husbands and wives, your disunity, your fighting, your constant fighting is literally killing your marriage. It's killing your family. It's killing your testimony. Disunity, hatred, and bitterness, it kills everything in its wake. You, you cannot afford that luxury. You can't afford the luxury of fighting it out. You need to do what Paul says. You need to imitate Christ. You know, I've seen churches permanently ruined by divisions such as this because one, one part of the church refuses to give in to the other side of the church. There's a, a prominent city in Manitoba, at one Pentecostal church, and many years ago, they had a split back in the 70s. The split, the group that said, we're not working with you anymore. We don't love you anymore. We, we hate you, because that's really what they're saying. When, when, you, when you're divided, when you split, that's what you're saying. I, I'm divorcing you. 
I want no part of you. So this group, they left. And you know, I have watched them for over 40 years, that other church. And they've had one problem after another, one split after another, one disaster after another. In fact, that church, I was told, recently had one of the worst fights in PAOC history. Never seen anything like it. What happened? These people who call themselves Christians refuse to humble themselves and refuse to take on the nature of Christ. Folks, I'm going to tell you how to have a healthy marriage and a healthy family. Because you're going to learn to love one another. You say, Pastor Allen, but you don't know my husband. Pastor Allen, you don't know my kids. Pastor Allen, you don't know my friends. Hey, do you maybe think there's a common denominator? You don't get along with your... With your <laughs> you don't get along with your spouse. You don't get along with your kids. You don't get along with your, with your friends. Maybe you're the problem. Hello. Paul tells us, be Christ-like. He tells Ebodea and Sintihi, you have to be. You have to be united. Because disunity is going to undermine your marriage, your family, your friendships. And that was exactly what was happening with these two women. Being right became more important to them than unity. Think about that. For some of us, being right is more important to us than having a unified marriage, having a unified family, having friends. And again, I've watched this, I've watched this over and over and over again. Listen, when we imitate Christ, what happens then is that we're able then to forgive. Forgive people who've hurt our feelings and said things that have, have been like a knife. Some of us get very dramatic about it. <laughs> Chill on that, folks. <laughs> you can forgive and you can find peace when you start imitating Christ. You say, Pastor Allen, can you explain what that means? Well, I like what Paul says. Agree in the Lord. You've got to agree in the Lord. Because this is what Jesus did. Jesus came to this earth. sent by God the Father. And he allowed himself to be crucified. He's an innocent man. He's done nothing wrong. He's utterly and completely innocent. And he stretched out his arms, and they nailed his, his hands to the cross, and they nailed his feet to the cross. But he was blameless. He did nothing wrong. But what did he do? He said, God, blame it all on me. I'll take it. I'll take the blame. I'll apologize. I'll say I'm sorry. I'll take the first move. I'll make the first move. I'll be the first one to apologize. I'll be the first one to say, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. That was wrong of me. I didn't mean to do that. I'm weak. This is what it, what it means to be a Christian. I'll take the blame. It's my fault. I'm sorry. And not like this. All right. I'm sorry. <laughs> How many have apologized like that before? Yeah, you know it's not an apology, right? What it is is just another punch in the face. I'm sorry. Poof. <laughs> it's not an apology at all. 
Jesus spread his arms out and he said, I'm, I'm taking the blame. These women, they should have apologized to each other. And they should have confessed their own self-centeredness. Or as my parents would say, they needed to kiss and make up. Did your parents say that to you? Yeah, kiss and make up. And my parent and my dad would make us kiss and make up. <laughs> so that today, I love my brothers and my sister. I love them with all my heart. Because my dad never allowed a root of bitterness to settle into our hearts. He never would allow it. We kissed and made up when we were kids, and we're still doing that. We're still best friends. This is what it means to follow Christ. Now, any, any dispute can be solved this way. It just takes one person to say, okay, I'm going to be like Christ. But don't say it like that. Say, all right, I'll be like Christ. <laughs> don't do that. Because now you're punching the face again, aren't you? You're just going to settle in your heart. I'm going to take the blame. I'm going to take responsibility. And at the end of the day, folks, does it really matter who's right? Does it really matter who's right? Is anybody writing this down and putting it in a newspaper? Alan Duckeff turned out to be right after all. His wife was wrong. Isn't that the attitude that we have? You see, this is the sin nature in us. And this is what Jesus came to this earth to conquer, to save us from, our sin nature, which always gets us into trouble. And that's what we see with these beautiful women. You see, Pastor Alan, how can you call them beautiful women when they're, when they're scrapping with each other? Well, before I answer that, let me just say this. If you're having a struggle in your marriage or in your family, go get help. Don't be arrogant and proud and say, well, I don't need help. I don't need to speak to the pastor. I can figure this out myself. Yeah, right. This is what God gave you a pastor for, to help you. This is what God gave you pastors. In our church, we've got, we've got quite a few of them <laughs> that are here to help. Rick Warren, pastor of a megachurch, is just retiring now, but he told a whole conference of pastors, he said, the best money he and his wife ever spent was on marriage counseling. What a thing to tell pastors, eh? <laughs> he said, we couldn't even afford it, but we had a credit card and we weren't afraid to use it. <laughs> and so they went and got counseling and they, they had their marriage healed so that they would go on and do great things for the glory of God. And this is really what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He says, man, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you, my true companion, I ask you to help these women. Sometimes you can't solve the problem on your own. If that's the case, you need to get help. Get somebody to step in. Here's what I'm going to tell you. I always tell people I don't do counseling. I don't believe in, in the counseling that, that the world offers at all. What I do is what I call judging. Now, don't, don't get offended at that when I say that. I'm, I'm not condemning or judging. But what I am is I'm, I'm literally acting as an objective outsider who's judging the situation. So you come to me, I'll judge the situation, and I'll tell you who's right, who's wrong, and what needs to change. All in favor, say aye. All those who are opposed, out. This is what we're here for. Paul says, true companion, my true companion, help these women. Somebody help these women get their problems solved. Well, 
We don't know much about Ebodea and Syntyche except that they were extraordinary helpers in the spread of the gospel. Some commentaries call them superwomen. These women were, were working alongside, shoulder to shoulder, with the Apostle Paul. And so you can see why this especially grieved him, because these women were truly great women who were truly helping him with the spread of the gospel. Now, here's another thing that happens when you don't get your problems resolved. Suddenly, the great ability and the great power that God wants to manifest through your life, you now become useless. You're sidelined. You're, you're literally, it's like, it's like putting Tom Brady on the, uh, on the bench. Like, really? We need you. If we've ever needed you, we need you now. But that's what these women have done. They've, they've sidelined themselves. And Paul says, we can't afford it. There's too much work to be done. We've got to get the gospel out to a broken and hurting world. But what you women are doing is you're actually diminishing the witness, the testimony of the church. You're ruining the church. You're ruining our testimony. You're ruining the spread of the gospel. Get it sorted out and do it now. And I would say the same thing to every couple here today. You think it's just you, but it doesn't just affect you. It affects your kids. It affects our church. It affects those who are lost and broken and who need Jesus. So get over your problems. Bring it to the Lord. Surrender to Christ. Stop holding a grudge. Stop being bitter. Start being Christ-like. Start loving as Jesus loved. And you know, some people might think, well, maybe Ebodea and Syntyche aren't really converted. Well, yes, they are, because Paul says their names are in the book of life. These are Christians. These are supposed to be solid Christians who are truly converted, who are supposed to be going to heaven someday. Get your act together, people. Get it sorted out. Folks, these women were powerhouses who lost their way, and it happens. And if you're having problems in your marriage, you have to understand who's behind that. It's Satan himself. He's working overtime to cause division in your marriage. He works overtime to try to cause division in this church. And I thank God with all my heart that it has never happened in all the years that we've been here. Hallelujah. To God be the glory, great things he has done. We don't allow that. And some of you will remember in the early days, I used to say, if anybody here threatens the unity of this church, I'm coming after you. We're not allowing that to happen here. By God's grace, we're gonna stay and remain a loving, unified body for the glory, for the glory of Christ. But as Paul says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 2.11, he says, we're not ignorant of Satan's schemes. We know the way Satan works. What does he do? He's got a, simple, a very simple strategy, and it seems to work so well for him, even though we all know it. You know what the strategy is? Divide. Thank you, Ray. Would you have to come up and finish this? <laughs> I'm joking. It's divide and conquer. So if he, can, if he can divide you as a couple, if he can divide you as a family, if he can divide us as a church, He's conquered us. We've lost our testimony. We've lost our power. We've lost our strength. We can do nothing. Paul is calling the believers in Philippi as much as he's calling us to put our Christianity into action. And it begins, mums, with imitating Jesus. 
your kids need to be able to look to you as one who imitates Christ. Because they're going to imitate you. They need to look to you and see for themselves somebody who knows how to follow Jesus. Our, 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 our responsibility, our duty is to model Christ. Don't let division and disunity rule your marriage and rule in your family. Your kids are watching you. Hey, can I just share with you as we close an interesting irony? I looked up the names of these two women, what they meant. <laughs> Ebavia literally means well way, which means the fragrant way or the good path, the good way. And Sintihi literally is together happen, or it means with God's will. I mean, if it wasn't so sad, you'd laugh at that. The fragrant way, the one who's doing God's will. There's nothing about Ebudia that was fragrant or pleasant while she was angry at Sintihi. In fact, she reeked of bitterness and anger, and she became an ugly person. And same with Sintihi. Nothing about Sintiki at this moment was in line with God's will. You could say, well, I do my devotions every day. She could say, I do my devotions every day. I come to pray, I sing songs, I lift my hands. I'm, nobody worships the way I worship. But you're forgetting one thing, that true worship is obedience to God. That's what true worship is. If you're standing here today worshiping God and singing the songs, but you've got no intentions of imitating Christ, then, then you're just singing songs. You may as well go camping and sit around a campfire and sing Kumbaya. Yeah. Sintiki's, she's not doing God's will. I'm going to tell you, folks, listen to me. As long as there's disunity or lack of harmony in your marriage, I can tell you after that, everything is meaningless. Every effort is meaningless. You are dead in your tracks. You can't, you can't advance. You can't move forward. You can't learn. You can't grow. You can't do anything of any significance for the glory of God. Folks, it's for this reason that in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray, hallowed be thy name. A lot of people pray that don't have a clue what that means. Their names ultimately are meaningless. The real name that matters is the name that they carry as Christians. I have in me the name of Christ. I am a Christian. I heard a Bible college professor kept saying Christian. I said, what's the matter with why can't he speak properly? But that's literally what we are. We are people that carry the name of Christ. What matters more than anything, my friends, is that God's name is in you. You carry God's name. And so you pray, therefore, God, hallowed be thy name. Literally, it means holy eyes your name in me. God, don't let me do anything or say anything that's going to bring shame on your name. Give me the grace, the power, the anointing, the ability to live a life that reflects the glory of Jesus. Hallowed be thy name. Make your name holy in me. Let me respond in obedience, O oh God, to the command to be like Jesus. Would you stand with me, please? Father, on this Mother's Day, we give you thanks. Thanks for the 
great privilege to be mothers. And we have a special responsibility as mothers to be people that reflect Christ. We need to imitate Jesus. God, we have to understand that our refusal to imitate Christ has caused, causes great damage to our family and damage to our marriage and damage in terms of our testimony. We have your name in us, Lord Jesus, and we want to live in such a way as to bring glory to you. Father, thank you this morning. Thank you that you have given us your word. Thank you, God, that when we do fail, you don't reject us as you have not rejected Ebodea and Sintiki. Indeed, their names are written in the book of life, and so are ours. But you're warning us today, Lord, to be sure that we're imitating Christ in all that we say and do. Father, we pray now that as we go from this place, we go as people who put into practice our faith. That's the thing about Christianity. It is so very, very practical. It's something that we practice every day. So give us the grace, we pray, to live in such a way that we bring glory to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Amen. Tell the person beside you, Happy Mother's Day.